0: Hostomy NURSE PROJECT Hi everybody, welcome, thanks for tuning in to this second part episode of our three-part series looking at different stoma types. Today's episode focuses on the ileostomy or ileostomy, depending on where you're listening from. And if you're tuning in for the first time, you might have selected this episode because you might have received information that you may need to have this type of stoma formed. You may know somebody who has this type of stoma or might be about to undergo this type of surgery. Or you might just be a health professional or any individual who wants some information on this type of stoma. So you've come to the right place. Here I am to talk to you all about the ins and outs of your insides on the outside. I'm wondering today if you have all figured out that I am a nurse and not an audio technician. I apologize for the sound of the podcasts that you have been coming to you. I hope that you're listening to them okay and there's not too much crackle and distortion If I wanted to be an audio tech, I would have done a completely different degree at university. So bear with me. Um, By the time I get to my very last podcast, I reckon I probably will have had it sorted or I would have given up completely and just paid somebody to fix up my audio files for me. But for now, I hope that it's all okay and that you are enjoying listening to our podcasts. Now, as I mentioned, this podcast today is the second episode of a three-part series based on explaining to you the different stoma types. There are lots and lots of different stoma types, but this series is just focusing on the three main ones that we come across in the hospital, and that's colostomy, ileostomy, and urostomy. Today's episode is the second part of the series which focuses on the ileostomy and in this episode I'm going to be explaining to you a little bit about the history of the ileostomy, how an ileostomy functions as opposed to the different stomas like a colostomy and what type of patching systems may be worn on this type of stoma. And then i'm also going to be talking about how to manage a stoma like this after your operation when you go home and cover off a little bit of dietary advice and recommendations for dietary intake after having an ileostomy formed okay so when we're talking about an ileostomy i want to explain what that means a lot of people hear the word stoma and they just think that it is a colostomy And I want to pull you up there because if you speak to anybody who says that they have an ileostomy and you refer to it as a colostomy, they're probably going to be very quick to correct you. They are actually quite different or they behave somewhat differently. So you look at the two words, ileo refers to the ileum, which is another word for the small intestine or bowel. And stoma, if you listen to the last podcast, is just a Greek word for opening or mouth. So ileo, small bowel, stoma. Opening and so that's just a simple term for an opening in the small bowel So if we're working in the small bowel. We're talking about the mid part of the digestive system and The small intestine is actually a lot bigger than the large bowel. So large bowel is probably only about 1.5 meters long 150 centimeters the small bowel can be anywhere from 3 to 5 meters long so you imagine that all tucked up inside your belly Um, But it's for a very good reason. It is that long because it's all condensed inside so that it can absorb all of the nutrients and energy from the food that we've just eaten that's just been liquefied in the stomach. And the small intestine has three sections to it. The very first section as it comes from the stomach is called the duodenum. And that's only really about 20 to 25 centimeters long. And that just preps the food for absorption. Okay, so that's where all your digestive enzymes and your bile get secreted to break up all the food that you've just eaten. The second part, the middle part, is what we call the jejunum, And that's probably about two and a half meters long. And in the jejunum is where all the goodness, the, the carbohydrates, the fatty acids, all the good stuff uh, from the food that you've digested is absorbed. And it goes into the bloodstream through little tiny finger-like parts on the inside of the bowel called villi. And at the very last section the last section is about three meters long this is where we get to the ileum okay this is the very last section of the small intestine and really what gets absorbed in that last section is a bit of vitamin B12 and some bile acids and any remaining nutrients that haven't yet been absorbed in the part before it in the jejunum now why am I telling you this I'm telling you this because I really love this organ the small intestine is actually used for quite a few stoma surgeries so the small intestine can basically be used to create stomas in the case of urinary diversions Um, it can be used to create a new bladder in neobladder surgery And it can also be used to create what we call continent pouches. So where we're recreating a new rectum in the case of an ilioanal pouch, the small intestine is also used. So it's very adaptable and very versatile. And there's a lot of it, hence why they choose to use the small intestine for a lot of new surgeries like that. And that brings us to a little bit of history about the stoma. Iliostomies are a bit newer than the colostomy, which was around in the 1700s. The ileostomy really came about sort of in the 1800s, 1850s, so almost 100 years after a colostomy was around and recorded. And so the first incidences of being able to form an ileostomy came from the fact that people used to have bowel perforations or holes formed in the bowel spontaneously and they would actually come out onto the skin and they're what we call fistulas fistulas i'm going to talk about in another episode so if you're interested in uh, hearing about abdominal fistulas make sure you tune into that episode when it's broadcast on spotify for you okay so there can be two different types of ileostomies you can have an end ileostomy and a loop ileostomy An end ileostomy is where the piece of bowel has been completely separated into two parts. So again, think of a cylinder or a tube that's pulled apart in the middle so that you've got two whole sections. And one end gets brought up through a hole in the abdomen and stitched to the skin. So it's just one hole. A loop stoma, which is somewhat more common uh, because they're often used as temporary stomas, are when the bowel isn't completely separated so a loop of small intestine is brought up onto the surface of the skin they make a small nick in the top and they fold it over on itself a bit like when you're folding your socks in your linen you take the sock you fold it over on itself it's called eversion and so you end up having two holes in that stoma that's why it's called a loop stoma And so what will happen is one of those holes will be what we call the functioning end, where all the poo comes out. The other end will be simply the defunctioned end. So the remaining part of the bowel that's inside the body that we're not gonna allow anything to pass through so that any surgery or any defect that's gone on in that distal part of the bowel is protected from any poo going through. And there's lots of different operations that somebody might have to have where you may require a temporary ileostomy or a loop stoma. And it's not just because of bowel surgeries. Yes, that's primarily one of the operations that people have. So if you're having an operation on the large intestine or low down in the rectum, you may need a covering loop ileostomy to divert everything away from that to allow it to rest and heal on the inside before we allow any poo to travel back through there. Some other surgeries, some people have um, gynecological surgeries where sometimes the bowel might be stuck to the pelvic organs and need to be separated and that piece of bowel becomes very fragile. So in order to protect that area and prevent um, any perforations, you might have to have a covering loop ileostomy. And that's just some of the reasons why somebody might have to have a temporary loop ileostomy. There's many reasons out there. They all vary. But if you are a person who's listening to this podcast and you have been told that for whatever reason, you will need to have a temporary stoma or you may or may not wake up from your surgery wearing a bag, this is where it's going to be really helpful. Now, I've already given you a little bit of an anatomy lesson on the digestive system and the part of the digestive system that we're talking about, which is the small intestines. But one of the questions I do get asked a lot is what is the stoma going to look like? And the way I can describe it to you is that it will be soft, pinkish red, wet and slippery. If you rub your tongue on the inside of your cheek, you'll notice that it is soft, warm, wet, slippery and very delicate. It's almost exactly the same tissue as what's inside the small intestine. And so when you're looking at a stoma on your skin, it's going to be pinkish red, which means it's got a good blood supply. It's nice and healthy. It will be soft wet and slippery because it produces mucus to lubricate itself and protect itself in the anticipation that food and waste product is going to be traveling through it. Okay, if anybody was listening to the first part of the series podcast where I talked about colostomies, you would have heard me talking about the fact that the large bowel is actually responsible for water absorption from the food that we've digested. The small intestine does absorb some water, but its main focus is to absorb nutrients and energy. The main function of water absorption largely takes place in the colon or large bowel. So for that reason, if you have an ileostomy, whether it's a loop or an end, a temporary or permanent, what comes out of it is going to be a bit watery and a bit more liquidy. It's never going to be a firm stool that you and I know of when we sit on the toilet and do a poo. So at best, ileostomy output would be like a soft toothpaste consistency and at worst watery, liquidy like diarrhoea. An ileostomy is also different from a colostomy because with a colostomy you tend to get an interval in between bowel motions. It takes time for water to be absorbed before it comes out of a colostomy. A small bowel stoma or ileostomy doesn't function that way. There is no interval. It's done its job, it's absorbed the nutrients and then that waste product is ready to be evacuated. So there's no space in between. Hence the need to wear a pouch over the top All the time 24 hours a day with a colostomy you can get away with wearing smaller or mini pouches when the bowel is not as active you might only have a couple of bowel motions a day with a colostomy with an ileostomy it's very different because of the consistency that's coming out you will always need to wear some form of drainable pouch now I say drainable pouch because if you were to use a closed system like in a colostomy The bag would fill up so quickly that you would end up going through bag after bag after bag per day. So you need to wear a pouch that's going to accommodate for the waste fluid, but also be able to be opened up and emptied into the toilet several times a day. Now, I don't want to scare you about the fact that I'm talking about small bags and big bags and that sort of thing. There are medium size and large size and extra large sizes of drainable pouches. It doesn't actually mean that you're gonna have fluid gushing out of you all the time. But the stoma will be steadily active. So when we talk to you about pouching options after your operation, we fit you to one that we think you'll be comfortable with and that will get you through that period of time in between having to empty it. And the volumes may be different for everybody. A small, slight person may not produce as much waste product as a 10-foot tall, 200-kilo person. And so pouching options will also reflect that. We're very lucky now. We have lots of companies that produce ostomy products and pouches with lots of diversity. There's lots of options available that never used to be available historically, but they are now. So we have choice when it comes to fitting you to something that's going to be comfortable for you and easy for you to use. Now pouches can come in what we call a one-piece or a two-piece drainable system. There's not a lot of difference between the two but in a one-piece drainable system it's quite simplified. It's simply one bag where you peel off the backing plate and it sticks onto your skin over the stoma. The stoma sits inside a hole inside that pouch ready to collect the waste. In a two-piece system you have a separate flange or a base plate and then you have an outer drainable bag that either clicks onto the base or sticks onto the base. And that's a functional decision that we discuss with you when choosing pouches for you. It largely depends on personal preference, your ability to apply a two-piece or a one-piece system and how comfortable you feel with the products that we're choosing for you. Don't stress if you're not getting enough information about one and two-piece products and systems and accessories in this episode. This episode's really just talking to you about the main differences between the types of stomas. There will be separate podcasts solely focusing on products and accessories and explaining the different types of pouches that we would choose for you. Are you guys all keeping up with me at the moment? You're understanding what I'm saying? I hope so. I hope you're still tuned in and haven't gotten bored of me yet. What I want to talk to you about now is what to expect if you are a person who's listening who has been told that you have to go in to have this type of surgery. If you are anticipating having a loop or an end ileostomy, I want to talk to you about what you're going to wake up with and what it's going to look like and what we're going to do with you. So before your operation, you probably won't need to have a bowel preparation. Evidence these days suggests that just fasting is enough to clear the small intestine. Sometimes in the case of large bowel operations, you would have to have a bowel prep. But with small bowel operations, we tend not to give you bowel prep anymore. You would just have to fast before your surgery. After your operation, when you wake up, you will have a big, ugly plastic post-operative bag on your tummy. Rest assured that's not the bag that you will go home in. It's simply a clear post-operative system that nurses and doctors can look at to make sure that your stoma is nice and healthy. There will be stitches around the stoma that connect to your skin. They are dissolvable ones. We just let them dissolve with time. But it's important when you're changing your pouches and looking after your skin that you keep that area nice and clean and healthy and free of any excess adhesive residue or faeces or moisture. You might also find that in the first few weeks following your surgery your stoma will be quite swollen and that's because you've had damage done to the bowel. You've had the bowel separated and cut open. So any trauma to delicate tissue like that is going to cause swelling. So don't be alarmed if you wake up and you've got a great big swollen stoma that's the size of a golf ball on your skin. I promise you that will reside as you get better and more mobile and become well again. All of that fluid will leave that tissue and you'll end up with a nice, neat little stoma that will continue to reduce in size over a period of about four to six weeks. On average, an ileostomy will be about 25 millimetres in diameter, so about the size of a 20 cent piece for us in Australia. Sorry, I keep realising people overseas probably have no idea the measurements that I'm talking about because we use centimetres and metres and you guys are probably all thinking inches and feet. I do apologise. But an ileostomy will end up nice and petite and relatively small on your body. There's a misconception and people are very scared about the fact that they think it's going to be a very large piece of bowel stuck to the skin that everybody's going to be able to see. But I promise you it's not. And especially these days too, with pouches being very low profile, nobody can see them except you. You'd be the only one who would know that it was there these days. So... I don't want to spend the rest of this podcast talking to you about the complications and everything that can go wrong when you first have a stoma formed what i do want to talk about though is the management of your stoma and getting used to it when it's new there will be a period of time where your bowel will be a bit slow to wake up and when it first starts to become active you'll probably notice that there won't be much coming out it'll probably just be like a greenish liquid And that'll just be a little bit of bile that's going through before you're actually taking in anything solid. One of the things you might also notice when you first start cleaning your stoma when you commence education with your stoma nurse is that just touching the stoma sometimes can make it bleed a little bit. You might notice some spots of blood on the tissue or the cleaning cloth and that's actually quite normal. It's because there's lots of little capillaries in the bowel keeping it well vascularized with a good blood supply and so just touching it can break all those little tiny fragile vessels and you'll get some blood on your tissue. Don't fear if that happens, a little bit of gentle pressure on the stoma can often stop that bleeding if there's a little bit of residual blood coming out. If there is a lot of blood coming out and it's bright red fresh blood and you're concerned about it, you can either let your doctor know or your stoma nurse or if you're outside of the hospital and you notice that your stoma starts to bleed heavily, you can contact your surgeon or head to your nearest GP or hospital. I think that brings us up to the diet part. So with diet, there are a few things that we recommend that you avoid immediately after your surgery. And there are not restrictions, but there are things to be very mindful of after you have an ileostomy formed. Now when I say diet, I'm talking about two different things. I'm talking about going on to a low-residue, low-fibre diet and I'm talking about maintaining really good hydration. And I'm going to start with hydration first because it is a really big factor in ensuring that you recover well and that you stay healthy after your stoma surgery. When I was talking before about the consistency of ileostomy output, it's pretty obvious that you're going to be losing quite a lot of liquid from that stoma. And you run the risk of becoming dehydrated very, very quickly if your fluid losses are too high. And what's the first thing you do when you start to feel a little bit nauseated and unwell? You stop eating and you stop drinking and I can tell you there's nothing worse than trying to force yourself to drink fluids when you're feeling under the weather and you've got nausea because it's just going to make you feel even more sick but it's very important when you have a stoma that if you are feeling nauseated and sick that you still try and take on as much fluid as you can and it doesn't have to be water And in our dietary podcast that we're going to talk about hydration, I'm going to point out to you about the different types of hydration with a stoma and how that will affect your output. Because sometimes just drinking water can actually in fact dehydrate you more than if you drink an electrolyte balanced fluid like St. Mark's solution. But that's going to be in a different episode. I want to highlight to you in this episode how important it is to keep some hydration with you. Whether that's water, uh, some soda water, mineral water, uh, juice, tea, some coffee but not too much coffee because coffee is diuretic. But I want to stress to you the importance of staying hydrated because before you know it, if you stop eating and drinking, you will lose too much fluid from your stoma and that upsets other organs eventually. The kidneys get very upset when you get dehydrated because it's your kidneys that regulate the blood flow in your system based on how much water your colon and your intestines absorb. So often when people end up in hospital with severe dehydration with a stoma, there's usually an element of renal failure as well in really severe cases. So if you can at all, please stay hydrated with a stoma, drink when you can drink, So aim for your 2 litres a day of fluid intake that can be done through taking an electrolyte replacement solution, ideally things like hydrolyte and gastrolyte, or for some people overseas you can get things like Pedialyte. Any balanced electrolyte solution will help with your hydration and maintaining a good fluid balance internally. And you don't have to guzzle, you don't have to have 4 litres a day but it's important to obviously have something with you and take plenty of sips with it, especially in the warmer weather like we have down here in Melbourne, especially now because we're still living in 40 something degree heat, you must always maintain proper hydration. Icy poles are also a really good thing. Over here we have hydrolyte icy poles, which are an electrolyte replacement icy pole. You can also get that in sachets and drinks and things like that. But if you can tolerate something that's ice cold, get onto that. We love icy poles in Australia, so have as many of those as you like. It's good hydration. Okay, so that's all for hydration. Now on to the diet. After any bowel surgery or any stoma surgery, we generally put you on what we call a low residue diet. That's another term for a low fiber diet. And it generally means that when you've had bowel surgery, The bowel is going to be swollen which means it's going to be more difficult for it to push food and solids through because there's less space it might also be a bit sluggish after an anesthetic so it might not push things through as effectively that's called bowel motility it might not work as well as what it would be if it was fully awake and functioning well and what can happen is if you eat really fibrous foods they can get stuck in that bowel and they can cause an intestinal blockage. And that's quite painful uh, for those who experience it. And we obviously don't want you to go through that. So what we recommend you do when you have a new stoma is go on a low residue diet for a period of weeks. And that involves not eating foods that are heavily fibrous. And when I talk about fibrous foods, I want to talk about the word cellulose. Cellulose is another word for fiber. And cellulose is not something that us as humans can digest. We simply don't genetically possess the enzymes in our digestive systems that can dissolve cellulose. And cellulose or fiber is the cell structure to fruits and vegetables. So when I talk about fiber and going on a low fiber diet, I mean reducing or cooking down and fully breaking down those fibrous outer structures of the vegetables and the fruits that we eat. So basically, when you go through life and everybody tells you that you need to have lots of fiber in your diet because that's healthy, we're going to be telling you to do pretty much the exact opposite to that. So all the foods that are heavily processed, white rice, white bread, white pasta, they've all been refined, which means they've had a lot of that good fiber broken down already. So they're really good to have on a low residue diet initially because the body can digest starches very easily. And they also help to thicken up your output without the risk of causing a blockage. Porridge, oats are also really good as they're quite broken down. And if you absolutely feel like you have to have some fruits and vegetables, which it's always good to have them. They are very nutritious for you. Our recommendation is often to either pop them in a slow cooker or casserole, where over a long period of time, the heat breaks down those outer fibrous structures and the vegetables and the fruits become very soft. So things like stewed fruits or the little tinned fruits or fruit cups that you get where the fruit has all been peeled or cooked down. And they're going to be much easier to eat. We recommend that you stick to those sorts of foods. They're going to be a lot easier to digest for you. We do caution certain foods with um, a high level of acidity. So things like tomatoes, onions they can upset the stomach a little bit but we tend to say try a small amount and if you find that it does affect your output or if it does give you an upset stomach to then try and avoid it and a general rule of thumb is maybe try about a quarter of a cup see how you go and if that does affect you then stop and if it doesn't then of course proceed and move on Now, for some people who have a permanent ileostomy for life, they may choose this diet regimen forever. Other people may choose to moderate that and put in a few little bits and pieces of foods that they do enjoy. And look, to be honest, some people take the risk and go and eat fibrous foods and nuts and seeds and they inevitably find out whether or not it's going to affect them. But we obviously like to caution you on the effects of that and what can happen. And of course, depending on the type of condition that you have, you may be at higher risk of developing an intestinal blockage. Now, of course, if you have a temporary stoma or a loop ileostomy, You may have a reversal done later on, which means eventually you can resume your previous diet and really eat whatever you could tolerate before your surgery. That's not a problem. But bear in mind that if you do have a stoma reversal, it is still bowel surgery. So you may find that you have to go back to that low residue, low fiber diet for a period of time, just until your bowel motions regulate again and you're not having any cramping or discomfort through eating a normal diet when you've also had your bowel stitched back together. And if you really want some information on low fiber diets, Bow Cancer Australia is a great website. There's plenty of resources out there. For low fiber diet recommendations and recipes. However, Bow Cancer Australia has a really good one that talks about low fiber diets, and it comes from Teresa, who's Australia's nutrition advisor for Bow Cancer Australia. And they've got some really good hints and tips about everything that I've just spoken about, so what is a low fiber diet, and recommendations for how you can adjust your diet to regulate the type and consistency of bowel motions that you're having as well, especially if you have a stoma. Now, if you are a person who already has an ileostomy and you would like information on uh, dietary intake and hints and tips for following a particular diet, the brand company that you use usually has an educational pamphlet somewhere that talks about dietary intake and places recommendations for foods that you can try and eat um, that will change the consistency of your output whether you want to thicken it up, thin it out, um, combat odour problems or gas problems. So um, you can feel free to contact each company and see if they've actually got information on that that they can send out to you also additionally for those of you whether you have a stoma or not if you do want to access this information you can head to the company's websites each branded company usually has a link and some sort of suggested advice for dietary intake and for those of you who are listening I'm tipping you are online people anyway because that's where you're listening to this podcast so jump online today and suss that out if that's what interests you Another great resource for people who already have a stoma or who are members of the stoma associations, you get your Ostomy Australia magazine delivered to you with your orders. The journal is published three times per year and is provided to uh, every member of an Australian Ostomy Association for free. Have a look in those magazines because they do have a section where people can write in Um, and ask questions about diet, there's also nutritional advice in those magazines and they're really helpful too. So if you've got your Ostomy Australia magazine, people overseas, sorry, you don't get one, I'm sure you've got some sort of equivalent, but people in Australia, get onto your Ostomy Australia magazine, have a flick through, they've got really helpful nutritional advice as well. So that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to talk to you about in this episode regarding the ileostomy. Tune in for next week's episode where we talk about the third part of the series, which covers urostomy or the ileal conduit or urinary diversion. That episode is going to be the conclusion of the three-part series talking about the three of the most common stoma types that we come across. If you like the content that you've heard in these episodes, feel free to comment or leave a review in iTunes. We also have a Ostomy Nurse channel on YouTube under the same name, O-Z-T-O-M-Y. So if you want to have a look at some videos that navigate different parts of the Stone appliance scheme or even looking at some of the product websites that can provide you with some helpful hints on how to get around those and what information they provide, feel free to jump online and have a look at those YouTube videos. But for those of you who want to stick with the good old podcasting, be sure to tune in again for more episodes where we look at things like the history of stomas, appliances and stomal therapy nurses, how we all came about. We also have standalone episodes coming which will explain and debunk certain myths and anecdotes for treating peristomal skin problems and even some short quick change episodes where we talk about some fun little areas that you can jump online and have a look at that relate to people having a stoma and a little bit of light-hearted fun. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Ostomy Nurse Project. We're coming to you from down under because that's where your stoma is. Bye everybody!